you know, we're rolling up in a 15 passenger van with the guest theory guys out to this remote area near the Grand Canyon. And we come over this ledge and there are just tons of production tents. It looks like a massive Hollywood movie. It's the biggest set I've definitely ever been on. And you see these helicopters with cameras mounted on them flying back and forth. I mean, John, we pull up and there's a helicopter diving into the Grand Canyon, following another helicopter, which has a dummy, like a weighted dummy getting thrown out of it. And you're just like, what is going, like what decisions in my life have led me to here? This is a wild place to be. And then the Smith family is flying in on another helicopter and Jaden Smith walks out and you're like, what is going on? And there's like, you have your own trailer and there's this like unbelievable, beautiful lunch set up for Will's 50th birthday and then and then he's giving a speech for his 50th birthday and you're standing 10 feet from him and you're and there's just there's only confused. 25 people there and we're two of them and you're like, what are we doing? Like, what is happening right now? Uh, and so, yeah, I would say that concept of like a ticket to the extraordinary is so true. Welcome to Create It an audio documentary series that tells the story of this generation's storytellers, content creators. I'm your host, John Fry, and today we're telling the story of Colin and Samir. All the big guns had been a part of the scoring act today, except for Laviano. He gets his. Schwenk wins the faceoff. Time expires. A team of destiny indeed! That was from the finals of the 2019 NCAA Lacrosse Championship, where Virginia beat Yale. Despite lacrosse being the oldest sport in North America, it's definitely far from the most popular, overshadowed by sports like basketball, football, and baseball. It's truly the underdog sport, but it has continued to win and grow at a phenomenal pace, even though it's not the biggest sport on Earth, or even America. Yes, it's a niche sport, but one with a cult following. It's not unlike our guests in today's episode, Colin and Samir. They both grew up playing lacrosse, albeit in very different ways, and eventually worked on and sold a lacrosse media company together called the Lacrosse Network. Like the sport they love, they're also underdogs. After they sold their company, which most people would have taken, they decided to start from scratch all over again. They started a self-titled YouTube channel, Colin and Samir, detailing the ins and outs of the content industry. Go give them a subscribe. You won't regret it. They are your favorite YouTuber's favorite YouTuber. Having worked with or gotten a shout out from David Dobrik, Yes Theory, Casey Neistat, and even Will Smith. Like the journey of our two guests, our story today starts with lacrosse. Lacrosse is a niche sport no matter where you are. But when you're growing up in Los Angeles, it's like another level. It's uh, definitely something that very few people have heard of even today. But when I was growing up, it was even more kind of like sports subculture. There was kind of that element of, of like the counterculture sports kids played lacrosse in LA. So it wasn't your typical, when you close your eyes and think of like lacrosse player, it was more of like the surfers, the skaters, the kids who are into music, who liked to play a sport and, and wanted to experience something. And, and it was so similar to s skateboarding in some way that you had this external thing that you got to express yourself with that eventually became an extension of your body. So. And like many with new subcultures, your tools of a trade may turn some heads. 
I remember coming out here in Venice Beach to um, practice one day and, and a woman came up to me and was like, what kind of tennis racket is that? And recognizing I was doing something that not a lot of people understood. And there was a lot of enjoyment in that for me. With lacrosse not being super popular in California, out on the East Coast, Colin and his future expectations for lacrosse couldn't have been more different than Samir's. I think my relationship to lacrosse was actually a lot different than Samir's. Growing up on the East Coast, the identity of being a lacrosse player was a lot more understood and a lot more known. You know, my brother played lacrosse, my uncle played lacrosse. There were generations of people who played lacrosse on the East Coast. So for me, you know, similar to Samir, I guess, searching for an identity, lacrosse player was an identity that I wanted and that I felt was safe and would be cool and kind of accepted. So all I wanted to do in high school was be a lacrosse player and then eventually get a D1 scholarship to play lacrosse. While Colin and Samir's relationship with lacrosse couldn't have been more different, it was this passion for the sport which eventually drove the two together after college. But let's take a step back. Like Colin, Samir's love for lacrosse was far from finished after high school. Not wanting to stick to just one niche, he decided to find another passion during his transition into college, filming and content creation. We know Samir always had a strong relationship with filming and content. That wasn't always the case for Colin. I personally had no relationship to filming and content creation before I went to college. Even when I went to college, I was an economics and Italian major. So for me, you know, the process of filming and editing and even being interested in storytelling didn't start until, you know, after I graduated. While Colin grew up in a haven for lacrosse, Samir grew up in the capital of the entertainment industry. But growing up as a first-generation American kid is no easy feat. Trying to find his footing in place, Samir looked towards film. I, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I grew up in a high school that was just surrounded with a ton of people in entertainment and a ton of storytellers, musicians, and a lot of our classes were geared towards that. Now, at the same time, I'm, I'm, the, you know, I'm, I'm from an immigrant family. My parents grew up in India, um, and so my brother and I were the first kids to be American kids. And so the way that I understood what it meant to be an American teenager and, and kid um, was through film. While both Colin and Samir ended up playing club lacrosse in college, neither of their early years at school would have foreshadowed the events to come. I started getting into arts and skateboarding and skiing and just exploring different things, searching sort of for an identity, and I ended up going to the University of Colorado, not even with the intention to play lacrosse. So I spent my entire first year getting really deep into the skiing community at the University of Colorado, and ultimately, a bunch of my friends uh, actually did not come back to school my sophomore year. And that's when someone on the lacrosse team was like, hey, you should really think about coming out. I was a little bit apprehensive, but it ended up being one of the best decisions I could have made. It allowed me to generate a new relationship with the sport. And really the relationship that I had then was just that this was my community now. This makes this huge 30,000 person school a lot smaller. So I really was able to fall in love back with lacrosse not really based on whether it was going to get me into college or fulfill some sort of identity. It was just based on this is now a community that I'm a part of and that accepts me. While Colin was unsure about lacrosse at the start of his college career, Samir was hungry to keep the sport moving on the West Coast and eventually joined a team at University of California, Santa Cruz. While this club team allowed Samir to continue playing the sport he loved, little did he realize one practice would change the path of not only his four years at college, but the rest of his career. 
while I was I was practicing in like the first couple of weeks of college, there was two ninth graders who came up to one of our practices and said, we really want to start a lacrosse team at our high school and we're looking for a coach. We're looking for a head coach. That was that is arguably one of the most impactful experiences of my life, um, coaching this team. I would say for a few reasons. One is because we were terrible. You know, I tried to get them to learn the sport, but it wasn't necessarily going to be through the X's and O's of the sport. First, they just had to like fall in love with it. They had to care about it. And the only way I knew how to do that was through storytelling. I fell in love with the sport through reading magazines and, and learning about the different athletes and having something to aspire to be like. Um, and that was through watching content about the sport and reading content about the sport. And so I did the same thing. I wheeled in this TV every Monday and we would watch footage of lacrosse. And it wasn't to show them how the game is played. It was more to connect them to the players. It was to say, hey, watch one of these guys the whole time he's on the field. This is, you know, Paul Rabel. Look him up when you go home. Watch his YouTube videos. Just get really connected to the sport. Uh, and it happened. The kids became junkies. Samir continued coaching this team throughout college. And as the team progressed over the years, they began to make a name for themselves. At the end of Samir's run as a coach, during his final year at school, all of the extra hours on and off the field paid off when they won the California State Championship. I wonder how you felt winning that championship given that you've coached them all through college. I mean, they're almost like your first audience since you impacted them with content, even if you didn't make it. How did that feel? Uh, unbelievable to be able to play that role and, and be able to transform the team into something that they all wanted, which was to be a championship team and to do it together and, and to do it in a way that felt impossible. That creates a uh, relationship unlike any other. And, and when you talk about like audience, it's an interesting comment uh, and an interesting thought because I do think that if you can transform an audience, you'll be able to bond with them like no other bond that exists. And so I think the fact that we transformed together from being somewhere where it felt impossible to get over here for, to, you know, from point A to point B, and then we did it, that bond is now like lifelong. Samir may have thought that this was just an opportunity to teach the younger generation about the sport he loved. But little did he know that coaching this lacrosse team would eventually lead him to create his first foray into the world of content. One of the kids on the team, his dad was working at YouTube. You know, we had an amazing experience again across these four years after we won the championship. A lot of parents wanted to get together, um, you know, talk and go out to uh, a dinner. And so I, I went out to dinner with him and, and we started talking. He was like, I know you're a film major. I work at YouTube. We're doing some interesting stuff with the sports department. This is an awesome story. Like, what if we turn this into a film? Uh, kind of like a little giant's like YouTube film. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I'd never really thought of YouTube as like a place for filmmaking. I kind of thought of it as a place for cat videos. And, and uh, just as a frame of reference, we're talking about 2011. Um, so YouTube is pretty pretty early on at this point. And so I didn't take it too seriously. I kind of just took it with a grain of salt and I was like, okay, this is like, I, I, this guy's super nice. He's really interesting. He's telling me about YouTube and how people are making money on YouTube and people are building audiences and they're educating people. And um, it was super interesting, but I, I didn't immediately jump on the concept. I was like, I'm going to go back to LA. I'm, you know, I'm an LA kid. Like I'm going to get into Hollywood. I'll probably become a movie star or something like, you know, like just the, like, like thinking about the dream of, of growing up in LA and being obsessed with the film. And Samir did just that. 
He made his way back to L.A. after graduation and landed an assistant editor role for the movie Ides of March. While this might sound glamorous, it was not at all, and Samir began to feel frustrated. Luckily, he had something that was rare happen. A boss shared the truth about the path he was taking. He was like, well, what you're doing right now is not really the path to what you want to do. What you're doing right now is you're, you're good as an assistant editor. You're doing a good job. And the next movie I'm on, I'll probably hire you as an assistant editor. And then the next movie I'm on, maybe I'll hire you again as an assistant editor. And then I'll recommend you as an assistant editor. And maybe one day you could become an editor. But you're definitely not on the path to becoming what you think you're, you're on the path to becoming. And uh, that struck me pretty hard where it was like, do exactly what you want to do. And he, and he said to me to do it by any means necessary. He was like, if you have to get another job to finance your creative endeavors, do that. But don't do the thing you don't want to do because you think it'll get you to where you want to go. That was when I started to call back the guy at YouTube. His name's Perry Tobin. And I called him and was like, hey, Perry, I think I want to start this conversation about YouTube again and learn more about it. And so... I got together with a friend here in LA and put together an idea uh, for something called the Lacrosse Network. And essentially, it was an online video destination for the sport of lacrosse. Called it the Lacrosse Network because in my head it was the NFL Network, but for lacrosse. And I truly believed that um, if we were able to create more content in the sport, more people could access the sport, more people could learn about it, and then more people would play it. And so our tagline was, let's grow the game through the power of media. These calls with Perry began to send Samir down a rabbit hole of opportunity, and soon enough he found himself in San Francisco pitching the lacrosse network to a few YouTube executives. And we went up with this like 65 page deck thinking we were going to get like unbelievable investment from YouTube, just went up, sit down, sat down in this room like dressed in like suits. They were all in hoodies and shorts and we uh, we sat down and started on this, this deck um, and the guys were like, all right, that's enough. We don't really want to see your deck. This is this is a cool idea. Like, let's just talk about it. Uh, we're not going to finance the idea, but we'll give you some support. You know, if you guys are up for it, if you have the energy to, to, to make this thing happen, like we think it's a cool idea and we'll definitely like, we'll, we'll be behind you. We'll help you with any support that you need to, to make this YouTube channel a real thing. And so I remember driving back down from San Francisco and being like, all right, this is it. This is, this is, this is my big project. I became obsessed with the concept of just creating consistent quality content. And I wanted to define what all three of those words meant. And at first, what that meant was, I wanna put up a video every single day. Now, at the same time, we were kind of surveying the internet and seeing, is anyone else out there making lacrosse content? And probably two weeks into starting our YouTube channel, that's when we stumbled across this video that started getting shared by all the, uh, all the different blogs, which was, a trailer for a web series about the Colorado lacrosse team. And the trailer had voiceover from a player and it was like watching a MTV show about lacrosse where it was clearly more about the personalities and the players than it was about the sport. And it was just like this awesome visual and peek into what college life looks like as a lacrosse player. And for me, I was like, I have to find out who made this and they have to be creating on the lacrosse like network. East Coast to West Coast to and so, between, you know, in doing all of our research, which is pretty limited because stories, in lacrosse, everyone knew everyone. Uh, we quickly found out that that was Colin. 
So I ended up getting a job at a hotel in Boulder, Colorado to pay my rent after I graduated, just 40 hours a week. And I bought a camera off Craigslist. And I didn't know necessarily that I wanted to film lacrosse. I didn't have a goal of staying within the lacrosse community, but I knew that if I was gonna tell stories, I had to have access to the people. And the main community that I knew I had access to was the lacrosse team at Colorado because I was a member of that community. And the coach was a wild character and he gave me all of the access I wanted. He didn't even care about watching any of my edits back. He said, I trust you. And that was my starting point. I was gonna you know, work at the hotel during the day and then go to practice in the afternoon and learn how to use my camera and tell stories and go from there. That was just my starting point. And it really was, you know, within the first month, I filmed for about a month, I put out that trailer for the series and Samir sent me an email, I think that day or the next day. And the exciting thing there was that it just was an opportunity for my work to be seen by other lacrosse players. And again, it was this community happening right away. Like it's that community coming back to me. I put out a video about the community that I'm a part of and the community reaches back out instantly. You know, Samir mentioned that it was shared by all the blogs, which was an amazing feeling. Like what filmmaker basically hits a 10 out of 10 on their first upload like that? You know, I, you look at that video now, I think it's awful. It's kind of an embarrassing video for me to watch. But in terms of the effect it had on my life, it was highly impactful. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I did choose to tell a story about a community that I was a part of, a small niche community. The story about a niche mountain community playing a game that not many people pay attention to in the first place immediately spoke to Samir. I just knew for a fact that um, carrying these episodes that Colin was making would change the course of the brand of the lacrosse network. I knew that for a fact. Uh, I don't know how I knew that. I don't know. My brother always asks me why I was so certain at that time. Um, but I was certain. I was absolutely certain that once I saw the trailer, I was like, this type of content and this series will change the trajectory of what we're building and accelerate it. Carrying that show, I would say, not only changed the trajectory of that brand, but also is the reason Colin and I are sitting here today talking to you. In the spring of 2012, Colin went on to make six videos for the Lacrosse Network which all generated tons of views and overall led Samir to contracting Colin and his filming partner to make a documentary about a professional lacrosse team in Colorado. The first time paid project for both Colin and Samir led to a sudden realization, this could be a career. That was, a, that was the first paid project that Samir and I worked on. You guys rolled up to the fields of Colorado like it was the financial district in New York <laughs> in the middle of a snowstorm. It was, uh, and for people in Colorado, it was like, you think this is cold? <laughs> and then for people in lacrosse, it was like, I've, who wears a suit? In a who wears a event? suit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for me, that, that was a really impactful weekend, though, because that was my first paid gig as a filmmaker. So that's the first time for me that I thought, oh, well, this, this actually could be a career path. This isn't just something that I enjoy doing. I could, I could get paid to do this. And that was the first time that we met in person. So we'd been working together like virtually on the series, but it was the first time we had actually really met in person and worked on something together and, you know, brought something to life. And I think pretty shortly after, I remember flying back with my brother and on the plane being like, I think we have to hire Colin. Uh, and, and at the time it was both of you. Mm -hmm. I think I was like this, this again, like I was certain. I was like, I think we have to find a way to get both these guys out um, to work for us. And with that decision, Samir got to work on pulling Colin and his filming partner onto the scene. 
So we were in a, a warehouse in downtown LA. And the reason why is my, my family, my dad's in the clothing business and he had a warehouse that was just kind of packed with inventory and boxes and no one was really working out of it. And so he was like, if you guys can, you know, we can clean up these front two rooms and you guys can work out of them. You say, you say we, I work in a warehouse in downtown LA. And at the time it seemed kind of like a cool buzzword. Like, oh, are you in the arts district? But it really was just a warehouse, drop ceiling, carpet, no air conditioning, no heat. Uh, when it was hot, it was really hot inside. And when it was cold, it was really cold inside. So we we get Colin to move out. And then at that time, there's probably two or three of us. And then I had created an internship program with my high school to get a couple of kids to come work. And so there was days where there's five to seven people sitting in that office working on the lacrosse network. And again, our commitment to all of this was consistent quality content. The lacrosse network was building a steady audience, but they were making very little money. They crunched the numbers and at their current video output, they would only generate $4,000 a year from video ads. This is around the time where they realized they need to make income anywhere they can, not just through monetizing videos. You know, money was so tight that we would just take on any project. Uh, any creative project. I mean, the, the the concept, the notion that we could make money making videos about lacrosse was like completely unproven and really feeling like it was un, more unlikely every single day that that was going to become a real business. And so we would just take on anything. We'd build a website. We'd shoot photos for my dad's fashion company. We'd do anything that had to do with media. But all the while, whenever we were finished on one of those projects that would pay a little bit of money, we would just shift our focus 100% back to making lacrosse videos. It, it was interesting because the financial side of it was so unproven, unclear. Also because we were new to YouTube and YouTube was in early stages in terms of monetization. But we did know just from the response from the audience and seeing our subscribers grow that we were doing something really unique and something that we were really proud of. So it was like, whatever we need to do to keep doing this. It, it felt a lot to me like when I was working at the hotel it was like, all right, I'll do what I have to do to make money, but I enjoy so much what I do after work that I will keep doing it. And it was the same with the lacrosse network for the early time. Like during those early times at the lacrosse network, it was like, whatever we have to do to keep on building what we're building. I had experienced doing what was seemingly impossible once before through coaching those kids and coaching that team in college. And there was days where I had a lot of faith in that and had a had kind of a could see the light at the end of the tunnel and could could feel that we were doing something. Again, the audience was so behind us and the audience was growing and the community was growing and like YouTube, even as a platform, the executives there and, and the people on their team were super behind us. They were like, you guys are doing something really amazing. Um, like you're redefining what it means to have a sports network. And those things really helped in terms of like trying to figure out what the the, the business was. It also helped that we were living in an age of like the social network of, uh, you know, like these companies that didn't actually have clear business models, like could actually succeed. And so I think there was a little faith in that, but the financial pressure was really significant. The financial pressure of me wanting to bring on team members, me wanting to, you know, spend whatever possible money we had to grow it with absolutely no semblance of revenue for the company was really hard. In these bleak times for revenue, Samir happened across an opportunity, getting an investor. My fears started rising around like, 
How long will all these people work for very little amounts of money? How long can this go on? And so, again, my brother, being an incredibly supportive older brother, uh, was working at a law firm at the time, and he had met some guys who were familiar with lacrosse. And those guys took a meeting with me. They were lawyers, but they were like, yeah, we grew up playing lacrosse. We think what you're doing is pretty cool, man. It's good for the sport. So let us introduce you to some people. And so they introduced me to an investor and I had a call with this investor and I was really excited about it. And I was like, I had, I was young. And so I had kind of put all my chips in this, in this basket of like, oh, okay, this guy's going to save us. He'll give us a bunch of money and then we can just exist. Uh, and keep doing what we're doing. I don't I, I don't really know why I had so much faith. I'd never met the guy, but it was just like how nice everyone was leading me to this guy. I was like, he's gonna be, he's gonna say yes to this. And I had prepared multiple times with my brother, like how am I gonna pitch the lacrosse network? How am I gonna pitch what we're doing? And again, you have to remember, there's no business model for YouTube at this time. There's no roadmap. There's no other creators you can look at right now to say, Oh wow, okay, yeah, YouTube is pretty good business. I totally get it. It was just like a website that people uploaded their home movies to. Um, and so I get on the phone, uh, I get patched through to this guy and I start my pitch. And at the time um, we were live streaming games and I had been calling it live broadcasting. And so I, I hop on the phone with him and I'm, He's like, all right, give me your pitch. Like, what is the lacrosse network? And I was like, all right, lacrosse network is the online media destination destination for the sport of lacrosse. Um, we've been live broadcasting games and he just stops me and he goes, whoa, 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 hold on. You just used the term broadcast. I checked out your page and I watched some of the videos. What you are doing is not broadcast. What you are doing is making home videos. And to be honest, you're not that good at it. He said, my recommendation to you would be to find something else to do. And I just, I was, I mean, I was so shocked by the fact that some, like I'd never experienced that before where someone was that blunt with me. Um, and I was like, okay, thank you. Thank you for your time. And he was like, yeah. He was like, good luck, man. And I was like, all right. And I hung up the phone and I remember I sat in a, we had two rooms in the warehouse and I sat in a different room than the rest of the team. And uh, I remember taking kind of a deep breath and being like, I, it kind of gave me the fuel I needed. I was just like, okay, wow, I am truly doing something that no one understands. And that means no one's going to help me. And I have a group of guys in there that is so committed to this idea. And I have tens of thousands of people who are watching and who are absolutely in love with this idea. Like it's just on us to make it happen. Uh, and that was it. There was no other times where I tried to figure out how to get investment. There was nothing else like that. It was just like, all we have to focus on is making this product the best it can possibly be. It was motivation for me, man. Like it really was. It was like every day I thought about him. I was just like, I can't wait to prove this guy wrong. And and we we actually, you know, later, uh, years later, printed out um, a graphic design of, of, uh, of the words, you're making home movies uh, and put it up just to make sure that we remember that like, if you're doing something a lot of people don't understand, you're likely on on the right path. Uh, especially as a creative. With this goal in mind, to make their so-called home movies into the dream films that they envisioned, 
Colin and Samir needed to keep creating, expand their reach, and connect with more people in their industry. You know, there's these things called MCNs on YouTube, multi-channel networks. They wanted to like help you optimize your content and in exchange, they take a piece of your revenue. And so we got a ton of calls from these type of people and we were just like not interested in joining them. While these MCNs didn't spark interest for collaboration, Samir understood an opportunity when he saw one. Little did he know, one of these connections would change the course of not only TLN, but provide the foundation for what Colin and Samir do today. And so this was another one that I was just like, okay, I don't know, this seems like, just seems like another phone call I'll take to learn about some company that's interested in sports. But there's two differences. One, we were introduced by the people at YouTube to them. And so I was like, okay, that's like, I'll definitely take that call. And two, I looked up the guy's name who I was gonna be on the phone with. Uh, and his name was Jeff Urban. And Jeff had previously been at Gatorade, a, a high up marketing executive at Gatorade. And I was like, okay, that's really interesting. I'd like to, I'd like to have a conversation with this guy. And so when we got on the phone, the energy was just amazing. Like the way that they were able to uh, speak to what we were doing in a world where for three and a half years, no one understood what we were doing. And finally, there was someone who saw value in what we were doing and understood it was like immediate connection. It was like, okay, this is really interesting. I want to keep talking to these people. What they're building is interesting to me because it's just the bigger version of what we're building. They're building the modern sports network um, for the digital age across all sports. We're doing that for a niche sport. We know a lot about how to do this. They're just starting out. Uh, there was just so much synergy in that first conversation. Uh, and I remember being like, okay, I think that was real. And real it was. From dead end to dead end, Samir finally connected with people who he believed could carry TLN into what he always dreamed of. They were like, why don't you uh, come out to New York and meet with us in person? And my dad was going out to New York the 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 week after, maybe two weeks after, um, for some work for the clothing business. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna come with you and let's go meet them in person. So we met them in person and, and once we met them in person, um, the energy again was just like unbelievable. We went out to dinner and I remember immediately feeling like this is, this is it. This is the way that we can keep doing this now. And this being, you know, they had basically said like, we're interested in acquiring your company and acquiring your team. For me, like just understanding that there was people who were going to pay, you know, like there was actually dollar value to the thing we had built and then additionally dollar value to all of us and our knowledge. And we could elevate into being guys who could be, you know, leaders, but more importantly, just continue to work together with the financial pressure being taken off of us. It was an amazing proposition. And that's, that's where the conversation began around uh, acquisition. Now, just because the conversation started didn't mean they signed the papers the next morning. It took lots of time, decisions, and lawyers to figure out what their worth was and what their new jobs would look like. Samir wanted to make sure everyone got rewarded for their immense faith and hard work. Soon enough, they closed the deal and went from working in a cockroach-infested, thermos-like warehouse to pitching companies like Under Armour, Gatorade, and Nike. With salaries, a sales team, and a beachfront office to boot, the boys now had everything they could possibly need to succeed. It also allowed us to do things on our YouTube channel for the Lacrosse Network that we'd never done before. 
you know, work with major pro athletes because we could come to the table with a more, you know, with, again, sales department, legal department, more funds behind us. We could make big documentary projects. Uh, so, it, you know, both personally, like, and professionally, I think we developed a lot. Like, there's just so much we were able to learn working with Whistle Sports. Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable, to be honest. Like, at first, we did stay in our in our warehouse, which was kind of a funny experience because we started onboarding new employees for Whistle in that warehouse. And the thing that was cool was, like, you knew when someone came in and looked around and was like, all right, let's do this, that they were going to be a good team member because like they were willing to be in there with us in the trenches of like just this hot warehouse that had cockroaches in it, had a non really, not really a functioning bathroom. Yeah. It really showed me who we were to see us in context and in relationship to all of the other companies maybe at WeWork and to even see how other people operated within a company because we didn't care about the nice office. You know, and it was funny. I feel like sometimes members of the Whistle Sports New York team would come out and visit us. And it was like we were some unique like museum or something, like startup museum. They would like open our fridge and there'd be no beer in the fridge. There'd literally be like someone's old lunch from yesterday. And they're like, why don't you guys have beers in the fridge? Like, what are you doing? And we're like, I, I, it doesn't matter to us. Like we just come here to work. Like we love everything about the work that we do. It's absolutely right. We were obsessed with the work. Was it nice to move into a beautiful office and on Fifth and Broadway in Santa Monica that it was, was five blocks to the beach? It was unbelievable. But it, there was days where Colin and I actually would be frustrated uh, by the offerings there <laughs> because it, we were like, this is too distracting. It's yeah. too much. There was like, you'd walk in and there's some company offering like mimosas and strawberries. And you're like, I just, I'm, I just want to work. And work they did. Not having to stress about daily life in their old warehouse allowed them the freedom to become the creators they always knew they could be. While not having the daily headaches from the old space, working with Whistle allowed Colin and Samir to unlock more than just their creative potential. Ultimately, it gave us a lot of confidence. I think those two years at Whistle Spores showed us that we're as good as we thought we were when we were sitting in that warehouse. And, you know, and a lot of it comes down to they really gave us the tools to showcase, you know, our skill set. But I remember, you know, right after the acquisition, I remember having a lot of imposter syndrome and having a lot of nerves and coming to Samir and saying, I think I'm going to get fired. And Samir was like, I don't think you understand. We're all on the same team here. And you're the expert. I think I assumed that they were the experts. And of course, they had expertise in all types of things and subjects that we didn't. But when it came down to building out sports networks on YouTube, 100%, we were the experts at that time because we were pioneering it. And so that was a really interesting confidence switch, specifically in me, understanding, oh no, I do have a very specific valuable expertise in something and that I should trust that I am an expert. I mean, I think it's important to recognize, like I remember the day after we signed the paperwork and everything had been done. And I, I think maybe it was the day after there was like a variety article that came out about the acquisition. I remember waking up, working out, having the same breakfast I always had, getting in my car, driving the same route I always drove to the office, walking in the office and the team sitting there. And I remember looking at them and everyone just has their headphones in working. And I was like, okay, like nothing's different. We're still here to do it. Like we're still here to do what we wanted to do and we feel like we haven't done it yet. And so I remember that being a really amazing feeling that it was just like, I don't have that underlying fear anymore that like we're gonna run out of money. And yeah, I mean, two two years later and we had deals with um, Nike, Under Armour, Gatorade. Um, we had done programming for ESPN. 
Um, we had licensed content to Xbox, to Amazon. We had built a profitable business out of the lacrosse network. And a lot of that was because of the tools we were given. And a lot of that is because we were able to focus on building instead of focus on, you know, everything else. And so eventually you both decided to, you know, leave Whistle Media. And there was a, a bit in one of your videos that I thought spoke well to it. Uh, Samir essentially said, you know, most people only get to 80 to 95% happiness with their job. And that, you know, you both were at 95, but wanted to chase that last 5%. So I'm just curious, you know, most people would hear that and say 95, like that sounds amazing. Like why, yeah. why risk it all for 5%? So I'm curious, you know, why, why did you risk it and leave Whistle Media after having gone it's, through all that? It's not a, it's not only most people. I mean, it's even the people who are closest to me. I remember my dad sitting me down multiple times being like, what, you, why? Like you are happy at this job. Like, what are you talking about? Why? Like, you have a great salary. If you stay for a couple more years, you have an even better one. You have stock in this. Like, what is going on? Why? Why, why do you want to leave? And I think to do what we do, um, to go down this path of unchartered territory, there's something psychologically inside of you that makes you a little bit crazy. And I would say I'm a little bit crazy. And I think that once I get something on my mind, I just want it. I just, and there was no explaining it. I remember everyone was trying to understand the rational decision-making of both of us. I remember people in the company that at that time, there was probably 60, 70 people in the company and we were close with everyone. And, and people would kind of take us out to coffee and be like, all right, what are you guys doing? What's the secret? Because we had just told people we're going to leave. And they assumed- And that was it. There was nothing else. It was just, we're going to leave and we're just going to do something. And people were like, what are you, what are you going to do? What are you talking about? They assumed that we'd been planning this departure for months and months and that we immediately had something to go to. Because I think especially when it comes to media executives, when they, they do move from company to company, right? Like they go from secure job to secure job, but we didn't start off with a secure job. It's as if you're like taking a motorboat across the ocean and you're supposed to have two motors, but you're just like, nah, I'm gonna trust the one. And actually, I'm going to throw that one out and I'm going to just take this paddle and just see where it takes me. <laughs> like, that's what it was like. <laughs> because I really trust my ability to use that paddle. Yeah. And we were so confident. I don't know if, you know, older, more mature Colin and Samir make that move. But our confidence level coming off of two years at Whistle Sports was just so high. I remember we left and I assumed... And I knew that we would have an office of comparable size and we would hire a bunch of the employees that were still that were in that office at Whistle Sports within a year. And four years later, <laughs> and we do have an office and we do have yes. employees, but four years later. But I would say, um, yeah, that feeling of, of, wanting, of, of wanting to jump, I think uh, we're very lucky that we had these experiences when we were young because what Colin said is so true. Like I believe you're only lucky enough to have the naivete to take on your big ideas once or twice in your life. Today, I'm incredibly risk averse. Today, I still have a lot of belief in my own ideas, but I'm not as willing and ready to jump. And I think we were lucky that we were getting to do it together, that we were both naive and yet at the same time ready to run through walls. Like it's a unique combination where it's like, I'm naive enough, I'm willing to put this crazy amount of effort in, and I actually enjoy it. 
because we're having a good time. Like it was just the recipe that was going to allow us to make that jump again. Right after we left the company, the thing is we did retain a consulting contract and we were still helping out with the lacrosse network. So it's like, it's not like we had nothing to do, yeah. but we had less to do. I went and to the beach for I was about to say, I think Colin week. was on the beach for quite a bit of time. Yeah. I started plugging back into my family business and starting to learn what they were doing and just started to like explore things. We gravitated back to the warehouse in downtown and just took to there to start making. That was it. That's all we knew how to do. The only roadmap for success that we had ever experienced was make videos on a consistent basis and someone's going to pick up the phone and call you. That's it. That's all we knew. This time we had a little bit more of a runway. That was it. That was the only idea. And I remember months, even down the line, we were getting calls from our colleagues at Whistle who were like, so what is it? What are you guys building? Like, what are you launching? What's the thing? And I think even that started to weigh on us. Like, yeah, what, what are we doing? Like, what is the thing? And being like, wait, was this smart? Like anyone would, Colin and Samir did feel some doubts. What would they do? How much time did they have left? But it didn't take too long for them to find a new strategy that would catapult their Colin and Samir channel forward. Videos is cold outreach. So we were both big Casey Neistat fans. Um, and actually, it's funny. We made a video about um, Casey's company, Beam. And that video was the first time we had kind of decided to dissect a media company uh, or dissect something that was happening in the YouTube landscape and analyze it through our lens and make a video about it. And these were conversations we had on a daily basis. Colin and I would get a coffee in the morning and just talk about what was happening in the YouTube landscape. And we would talk about what we thought people were doing right, doing wrong, what the strategy was behind it. It was just what we were into. It's just like what we loved. And so we made a video about it. And that video was seen by a lot of the team members at Beam and almost immediately. I think like oh, we yeah. got retweets and tweets and Twitter messages from the people who worked at that company. I mean, I think there were 15 to 20 employees at Beam at the time, maybe. And in the comments within the first few hours, I remember seeing seven to eight of the employees' names in the comments. And even though we didn't have that many views on that video, all of a sudden the reaction and the feeling to making that video was different from every other video. It was like, okay, here's people that we really respect in this industry and they are validating us and they like the video too. And it ended up getting us an invitation to come out to go and meet them. Yeah, so there was an invitation that basically said, next time you're in New York, come by. And uh, for us, it was like the first time we realized, wait a second, this world that we're watching, that we want to be a part of, is one video away. And YouTube stars weren't the only people one video away. So we made a video about Will Smith and then got an email from him uh, or from his team that night. Uh, we wanted to connect with a group out here called Yes Theory. So we made a video about them. Now, you know, we're incredibly close to them and have done multiple projects with them. And so it kind of became our form of, of outreach of like, okay, this is fun for us. If we make videos about what's happening and show people how we think about the space, good things happen. Yeah, and I think those specific videos started to develop for us a community, which we felt so strongly in the lacrosse world. But the moment we exited the lacrosse world, it was very tough for us to understand who our community was now on the internet. And when we would make those videos about YouTube and media trends, and the people that we were talking about would reach out and want to connect with us, it gave us a very tangible sense of community. And I think that kept driving us 
And through these videos based on content creators, Khan and Samir got their first huge break as a new company. Yeah, so we made a video about Will Smith after he started uploading to YouTube about why he was uploading to YouTube, what was a traditional celebrity doing on this platform. And like Samir said, his team reached out that, that day. We started developing a relationship with his team, starting to come up with some concepts for Will's channel. And I think in conversation with Yes Theory and telling them that we had made this video and had gotten us in touch with Will and his team, that sort of started a conversation amongst the Yes Theory crew of, well, if these guys can get in touch with Will Smith, couldn't we pitch him an idea as well? And so Samir put the two in contact, I believe, right? So Yes Theory had come up with this idea, what if we challenge Will Smith to Heli Bungie? They made a video calling out Will Smith, again, using video as cold outreach. And at the time, we were emailing Will's management team back and forth. And we also had a relationship with Yes Theory. So Samir just connected the dots. And that's how that really started and came together. So, you know, what, what was it like pulling up on the actual day that it was going to happen? Like, what was it like, you know, meeting Will Smith and, and just being there on, on site as this was unfolding? Yeah, we always, we always say that YouTube is a ticket to the extraordinary, and this is exactly what we're talking about. You know, we're rolling up in a 15-passenger van with the Yes Theory guys out to this remote area near the Grand Canyon, and we come over this ledge, and there are just tons of production tents. It looks like a massive Hollywood movie. It's the biggest set I've definitely ever been on. And you see these helicopters with cameras mounted on them flying back and forth. I mean, John, we pull up and there's a helicopter diving into the Grand Canyon following another helicopter, which has a dummy, like a weighted dummy getting thrown out of it. And you're just like, what is going, like what decisions in my life have led me to here? This is a wild place to be. And then the Smith family is flying in on another helicopter and Jaden Smith walks out and you're like, what is going on? And there's like, you have your own trailer and there's this like unbelievable, beautiful lunch set up for Will's 50th birthday and then uh, and then he's giving a speech for his 50th birthday yeah, and, and you're standing 10 feet from him and you're and there's just only confused. 25 people there and we're two of them and you're like what are we doing like what is happening right now uh and so yeah I would say that concept of like a ticket to the extraordinary is so true there's so many moments in I think our journeys you know where I think we've looked at each other and just been like this is insane uh this is crazy and I think even going back as far as like one of some of those moments being like a thousand people watching one of our videos and being like, wow, this is unbelievable, you know, or someone commenting something about us or someone recognizing us on the street or signing an autograph. Like every time you're just like, what? This is unbelievable. Like something that came out of my head, an idea out of my head and something that we brought to life together led us here. Um, and it's a truly remarkable experience every time it happens. I think that one was just the most visual where you're like, what am I watching right now? Like what movie is playing out in front of my face? It's been like that since the beginning though, for me, you know, from the moment that we first met, you know, making that first video, uploading it and having Samir send me an email that day. It's just been this long chain of putting videos out and having people send us emails and then meeting them in person, developing relationships. It's really developed this unbelievable community for us where like you never know who's going to be watching your video. You never know who's going to reach out. From playing lacrosse as a child to filming professional lacrosse teams during their season, there's one thing that reigns true to a lacrosse player, which Colin and Samir both took to the professional world. This is called 
choosing your brick. In lacrosse, there is a form of practice called hitting the wall, where it's a, it's a singular drill. You can go by yourself. You take your stick and the ball, and you pick a brick on the wall, and you aim for that brick every single time. You do 100 reps, and you just try and hit that brick or get as close as you possibly can. And you get as good as you possibly can at aiming at that one exact brick. And if you look at filmmaking, for both of us, lacrosse was that initial brick. It was like, let's just aim for the lacrosse audience every single time and get as good as we possibly can at hitting this one singular brick. And we developed all of these skills that allowed us to hit that brick, hit the lacrosse community again and again and again with videos that they enjoyed. And because we built that muscle of hitting that one community, of aiming at that one destination, we were actually building a muscle that if we decided to go off to the right and hit another brick, focus on another topic, we could also hit that community. If we wanted to go off to the left, our aim was now better to make a video about that community or that topic. So it's about focusing on a niche first, knowing the ins and outs of it, and building your skill set within that community, taking it as far as you can possibly go, because the skills that you're going to learn in that community are going to allow you to expand to all types of communities. And I would say when it comes to like, what's our brick now? I think we still are working on this one. I think what we realized over time was that the passion that we had for the community that is YouTube uh, and YouTube creators and this, this, this world that exists online of these uh, people who just upload their ideas, uh, you know, in video form on YouTube and build communities. That's, that's the brick. Like that's what we're really excited about. When we think about our audience, like a huge portion of it is creators and aspiring creators. Um, and when we were making videos for the lacrosse audience, the reality is both Colin and I, I think we're making videos for our childhood selves. We were making videos for ourselves making the videos that we wanted to watch. And today, when you look at the videos we're making, we're doing the same thing. We are that audience. We're both aspiring creators. We're career creators. Um, we are members of this YouTube community who live and breathe it on a daily basis, uh, who love it and, and feel like we can bring the community together through content and bring the community closer and help people on the outside of the community understand the community better and drive empathy through our content. And so again, it's it's that desire to be understood, that desire to bring um, something to the world. This is a community we love. We love making this type of content. And this world is opening up to be a lot bigger than I think we both anticipated it. podcast is an original series from Finesse Media. The show was edited by John Fry and Luke Himmelsbach. Narrations were written by Luke Himmelsbach. Sound design was done by John Fry. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review for the show. I'm your host, John Fry, and I'll see you next time.